more. If I lose my job, my life is over. You know, I never win. Never. I always lose. I never do anything right. I always mess up. And no one likes me. Everyone judges me. These are, you're probably thinking, man, I, I was listening today to be encouraged. <laughs> well, what I'm doing is giving you examples of a cognitive distortion known as all or nothing thinking. You ever heard of this? I was quite familiar with it during my uh, clinical depression, anxiety, mood disorder years. And yeah, it still knocks on the door every now and then because I'm human and I'm learning, you know. But it, it would just increase darkness and gloom. And of course it would. It's a distortion of my cognitive ability. It's a cognitive distortion, meaning my perception, our knowing in that moment of all or nothing thinking is twisted, crooked, and deformed. Can you relate to this? With this limited way of thinking, you and I only ever have two options. It's like this ridiculous pendulum swing that offers only two options. On one side, you swing over to perfection. Or the other side, disaster. Talk about just a confusing way to live and the pressure of living under that. So we're going to unpack this a little bit today on Illuminated Soul. My name is Craig. Dr. Michelle May says of all or nothing thinking that it leads to all or nothing. The truth, though, lies somewhere in the middle. That's brilliant. All or nothing thinking. You know, it could be referred to as black and white thinking, linear, dualistic, binary thinking. And yes, dualistic thinking, black and white thinking does serve a purpose. And even Jesus presented occasions for it in scripture. For instance, you can't serve God and money. Okay. Uh, he said elsewhere in scripture, he who is not with me is against me. But as Richard Rohr states, oftentimes where Jesus is truly dualistic, we refuse to be. And where Jesus was very unclear or never spoke, we have arrived at absolutely certain conclusions. <laughs> but here we're focusing on those of us who are damaging ourselves and others with the pattern, the habit of all or nothing thinking. I'm, th I'm thankful for black and white thinking. When I pull up to a stop sign, I want to know unequivocally what it says <laughs> and what I'm to do, right? Scottish psychologist William Fairbairn calls this cognitive distortion splitting. I like that term. It's 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 bifurcating. You know, we split things and it's it's either over here or over there and there's no middle ground. Todd Tauser speaks into this. He's a writer who specializes in behavioral and social science, stating this all or nothing thinking, this splitting is simply a way that our mind convinces us of something that isn't really true. These inaccurate thoughts are usually used to reinforce negative thinking or emotions telling ourselves things that sound rational and accurate, but really only serve to keep us in a childish mindset, unconscious and unaware of all our possibilities. What an incredible statement. And I can relate to that. Just last week, I'm going to be honest with you, just last week, uh, someone was sharing something with me, something that I, I have a habit of doing in circles, social circles, and... Um, and this person was correct. But boy, it bruised my ego to hear. Um, and then I could feel the thoughts, this all or nothing thinking, this cognitive distortion like the Kraken, you know, coming up from the depths of my soul saying, see, Craig, you're worthless. You shouldn't even speak in social circles anymore. Just be quiet. Now, 
That seems a little extreme. <laughs> That's all or nothing thinking. <laughs> we see this uh, in children, right? You're not my friend anymore, ever. <laughs> Infinity, banished, <laughs> shunned. Uh, you're in the club, you're out. I got an F in math. My, my life is over. I'm a horrible student. It's that stuff. I got this definition from Wikipedia about all or nothing thinking. It's the failure in a person's thinking to bring together the dichotomy of both positive and negative qualities of the self and others into a cohesive, realistic whole. I love that word, realistic whole. And check this out. This is more common in people with anxiety and depression. Imagine that. That realistic whole. So when I operate in all-or-nothing thinking, I'm kind of disengaging from reality a bit. I'm kind of moving away from this invitation to, for, for this realistic whole that uh, carries both positive and negative qualities. One of the things we are doing when we engage in all-or-nothing thinking is we are drawing our own conclusions and declaring them as absolute, unequivocal, yet with no actual facts or proof to back it up at all, you know? It's like we're saying, this is reality, to which reality says, really? Are you sure about that? And there are some simple signs that you and I can look for to see if we're operating in this, if we're aware enough. Um, words like always or never show up a lot. I never get a break. I always mess things up. Yeah, that, that's extreme, as I, I pointed that earlier. You know, well, I'm, I'm never going to speak in a group again. Why bother? extremism great question to ask ourselves after an all-or-nothing statement pops out of our mouth when we are aware of it in the moment is is what i just said a little extreme <laughs> if it is then we can take some time to invite the cohesive realistic whole <laughs> into the picture uh what, what are some other signs we have a defeatist mentality you know I, I was operating in that i was feeling the invitation of that just last week i'm just completely defeated why bother we just quit quickly, just give up. Uh, also, we have difficulty seeing the good, the good in ourselves, in life, in others, even in the midst of the brokenness and pain we all experience in life. And yeah, I've learned, uh, or I'd like to think I've learned a few things to help detach from all or nothing thinking. I, I want to share them with you. One is embrace the reality that you are not perfect. You're free. Perfectionism is an imperfect response to the lie that you have to be perfect. I mean. It's one of the reasons, at least this is how I surmise, it's one of the reasons why, among many, that we gave our lives to Christ. In that moment, I realized, oh, wait a minute. When I was 23 years old, I realized, I guess I'm not God. <laughs> I'm not perfect, and I'm trying to run my life, and it's really not working. Maybe I need to give my life to the one who gave me life and to the one who mastered life. It's his idea, right? <laughs> Jesus. So it's okay. We're not perfect. According to 1 John, we are those who are practicing righteousness. So that's another one. We're not perfect. Number two, we're, we're practicing. We're practicing walking in the truth. We're, we're practicing life. I've never had life before. This is the first one I recall, right? So what does practice imply? It implies we make mistakes, mess up, that we're not perfect. So in those moments, you know, whether we're being corrected, receiving uh, much needed, but, but hard truths to our ego, <laughs> Uh, or just situation takes place that is not ideal. We can say in that moment, I'm practicing. I'm learning to do better. That's the truth. That's that cohesive, realistic whole. That's the truth. We're practicing. We're learning to do better. It's okay. Another idea. Embrace and celebrate failure. 
That's how we learn. John C. Maxwell said the difference between average people and achieving people is their perception of and response to failure. Well, that's the only difference. What does that say to us? Something among many uh, things that, that we have in common is we all fail. Now the difference is, and the invitation is, how will you respond to it? How will I respond to it? I used to think if I failed, life was over. I'm, you're, you're no good, Craig. You're worthless. Just bail. Get out now. You know, Talk about a cognitive distortion. So let's change our perception of and response to failure. I invite you, if you don't have a healthy definition of failure, get one. Create one. Look for one. Henry, Henry Ford said, failure is only the opportunity more intelligently to begin again. Isn't that brilliant? Failure is only the opportunity more intelligently to begin again. It's an invitation to learn. Like the words I did a podcast a while ago from St. Bonaventure, giving us these four wonderful words, always we begin again. Always. I love that. And uh, how about we use the word and instead of or? This is from Ashley Thorne, a licensed marriage and family therapist in an article I found from uh, psychcentral.com, August 2015, in which she stated, instead of saying I'm a good person or a bad person, consider I'm a good person and a bad person. Meaning, hear me out on this, meaning I have a lot of great qualities and I do a lot of good things and sometimes I make mistakes and poor decisions. Another example, instead of, I had a great week or a terrible week. We, we sometimes forecast that, right? This is either going to be a great week or a horrible week. Well, how about, I had some wonderful things happen this week and some things that were difficult. Do you notice how expansive that is? I once did a short stint with comedy improv, and the first thing I was taught was to use the word and. It keeps the conversation going. It's expansive, yet... This all-or-nothing thinking just slams doors repeatedly, just shuts doors. Either you're in or out, that's it, right? It's the expansive truth, this and idea. It's the expansive truth we currently are living in as sons and daughters of God. Example, we need you, Jesus, and we have you. Where I used to think back in the day, if I messed up, I don't have you, Jesus. It's, it's over. It's, I'm, I'm a horrible son of God. Wow, talk about extreme. No, the, the reality is... I need you, Jesus, and I have you. I have you, and I need you. The and lets us acknowledge both states of daily need and daily presence. That's a cohesive, realistic whole. And then you could liken it to uh, something called third force. Third force is a political group or party acting as a check on conflict between two extreme or opposing groups. This third force idea, I was reading the writings of a Franciscan priest. He suggested that St. Francis of Assisi relied on what might be called third force, a way of responding without being antagonistic, but introducing alternatives to reframe any issue and create something genuinely new, as the Holy Spirit always does. The law of three is dynamic and moving as compared to the often oppositional law of two. It's a way of compassionate creativity and not getting trapped in either fight or flight. That's brilliant. Another way I can look at it, it's what love does. According to 1 Corinthians 13, 7, in the Amplified Translation, love believes all things looking for the best in each one. And that includes looking for the best in yourself. It's a skill we are learning as children of God. Looking for the best in any circumstance, any person, any situation, any correction. We are learning to extract the precious 
from what we might consider worthless. And yeah, that's challenging for sure, but totally doable with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life in you. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4 that he had learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And he attributed this way of thinking, the mind of Christ, to the reality that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. It's amazing. He didn't judge having much as good and having little as bad. He simply called them circumstances in which he learned to be content. Talk about freedom. Imagine if Paul just operated out of all-or-nothing thinking with all the hardships, suffering, beatings, stonings, and more shipwreck, all that stuff that he faced. How was he able to endure all that? I think because he operated free of all-or-nothing thinking, that cognitive distortion, and operated with and out of and learned and practiced the mind of Christ. He was able to embrace paradox and be comfortable with mystery because he knew According to Colossians 1.27, the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, your hope, our hope of glory. Remember the words of Dr. Michelle May at the beginning of this podcast. All or nothing thinking leads to all or nothing. The truth, though, lies somewhere in the middle. The truth lies in the middle. And I would add that the truth lies in Christ, who is right in the middle of you. <laughs> right on. <laughs> and I do have uh, a few other Illuminated Soul episodes that could be helpful regarding this topic if you want to go back and listen to them. I already referenced this one, Always We Begin Again. That's episode number 33. Uh, three more. Episode number 18, Emotional Reasoning Equals Trouble. Episode number 15, The Arrival Fallacy. That's a huge one. And number eight, Meeting Unmet Expectations, Embracing Hope. So number 33, 18, 15, and 8. I know that's a lot there. So thanks for letting me hang out with you again. And let's continue to learn to be conscious and aware of all our possibilities. Even quantum physics calls this the wave of possibilities, man. <laughs> right? And we can bring together the dichotomy of both positive and negative qualities of the self and others into a cohesive, realistic whole. Thanks again for listening. I'm Craig. This is Illuminated Soul. 